0: Canada today issued draft regulations for raining in emissions of methane uh, seeking to limit the release of the uh, potent greenhouse gas from its vast oil and gas infrastructure the effort to add to a global uh, plan to slash methane emissions and bring Canada in line with the United States which announced similar rules uh, last week of course this is all um, this announcement was made at the United United Nations climate summit in Dubai it's a further reminder that oil and gas play a significant role in BC, and Canada's economy. Today, a not-for-profit advocacy organization, ResourceWorks, announced that uh, former Environment Minister and Attorney General Barry Penner will serve as, a, uh, as chair of a new high-profile campaign focused on energy policy here in BC. Uh, the group will be called the Energy Futures Initiative. Barry Penner, welcome.
1: Thank you. Great to be here, Jess.
0: Good to have you here. Uh, and, and energy, I think... Uh, especially for us here in Metro Vancouver, we don't pay much attention to it and we need to because it drives so much of the conversation and drives so much of our economy as well. So first of all, for you as a former environment minister uh, and attorney general, why is it important for you to be involved with this organization called Energy Futures Initiative?
1: Well, you'll remember, Jas, that I took a leading role in opposing this Sumas 2 energy project Mm -hmm. back in the day in the Fraser Valley out of my concern for uh, local air quality and the fine particulate matter that project in Washington State would have produced. And ultimately, uh, we were successful. But I always said we need to find what's the alternative. And I fully supported clean energy alternatives at that time, and I did throughout my tenure as an MLA for 16 years, including more than five years as environment minister, as you'll recall. Uh, So I am worried about climate change. I do support clean energy initiatives. But I've been looking at the numbers and wondering how exactly is the government... Going to reach their very ambitious targets of a 40% reduction in GHGs in just over six years from now, mm-hmm. uh, when it's been 15 years, a full 15 years, since I introduced BC's first climate action plan as environment minister in 2007. In those 15 years, when we introduced Canada's and uh, North America's first broad based carbon tax, which by the way at that time was revenue neutral, mm-hmm. so all the in- revenue was uh, returned to the economy through offsetting personal and corporate income taxes to try and keep the money in the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Subsequent administrations have moved away from that. But uh, despite all those policies, the government announced last week we've reduced emissions since 2007 by 4%. But they're saying that in just six years, we're going to go the other 36%. So another way to look at it, two-thirds of the time has gone by, but we're going to get 90% of the reductions in the remaining time. It's taken two-thirds of the time, to just reduce it by 10%. And so a lot of that's all predicated on a massive transition in our economy to electrification. Mm -hmm. And again, electricity is a phenomenal uh, energy form, but it has to be generated.
0: Yes. So we'll get to that for a second, but I want to talk about the organization specifically. So what will your role be? Is this a question of, getting reports done? Is this a question of, of, of advocacy? Is this pushing back on environmental groups? What will be the core role of your organization?
1: We want to bring information to the public's attention that they may not be fully aware of. Uh, for example, many British Columbians would be surprised to know that so far this year, uh, BC has been importing more electricity than we've exported. So on a net basis this year, uh, to the for the most recent statistics, put out by Statistics Canada, Mm -hmm. because they track cross-border flows, we've uh, imported more electricity, 5,900 gigawatt hours worth, than the Site C dam, which still isn't finished, despite being announced 13 years ago, uh, would produce in a whole year. So in less than a year, we've imported more electricity than Site C dam will produce whenever it comes online. (laughs) And that's
0: just demand driving it?
1: Well, we have had, you know, despite the heavy rain today in the lower mainland, we've actually been below average precipitation in most parts of the province for the last two years. So BC Hydro being mostly hydro-based, as the name suggests, does suffer when we don't have normal amounts of precipitation. And with climate change upon us, uh, you know, the idea of normal is kind of questionable. So this year, BC Hydro's had, and they've acknowledged this in their quarterly reports, they've had less than normal inflows into their reservoirs. So it's not surprising that they're not generating as much electricity as they normally would. Mm -hmm. So they've had to turn to uh, electrons elsewhere. And the thing is, many of those electrons we're importing, for example, from the United States, which is where most of our imports come from, uh, the majority of electricity in the United States is produced by fossil fuel combustion, Coal and natural gas amount to over 60% on average of U.S. electricity production.
0: Uh, I'm curious, Barry, uh, you talked about uh, introducing the, the carbon tax. Uh, do you still think today there is a need for a carbon tax? Now, economists will say you put a price on carbon, it's the right thing to do. I think we're paying about 14.31 cents per liter right now. Uh, that's significant. I think on a Ford F-150, that comes up to about $19 per fill-up for a, for a full tank. It's uh, just in carbon tax alone, and it's going up every year until 2030. Uh, it's supposed to change behavior. EV sales are growing, but what I've read, they're not growing as fast as they once did. Uh, and I think it was Ford that was recently saying this. They're cutting back on some of that. So my point is, should the carbon tax, A, just be stopped at where it's at right now, at the level it's at, or do we need to think, rethink the whole thing in regards to the tax itself, because it may not be driving behavior as much as we thought it would.
1: I think it's good to always take a look at how things have worked out after you've announced them. Uh, so it has been 15 years in British Columbia since we've had a broad-based carbon tax, which initially was revenue neutral. And I know many members of the public were skeptical. Believe me, I was out there trying to explain to people. But we had the Auditor General look at it specifically. And uh, it was a he at the time would write reports and say, yes, actually more... Uh, money is being left in the pockets of British Columbians than you're taking through offsetting uh, income tax and other tax reductions. Uh, That has changed. Uh, The current government wants to use at least some of those funds to directly fund government programming, which they think will further help drive down emissions. But that is different than the original concept of revenue neutrality. And we've seen, the I think, the political limits to the carbon tax could be no more clearly illustrated than the federal government's regional carve-out for the home heating fuel. They felt political pressure there. And even though home heating fuel is a much more carbon-intense fuel Mm -hmm. than natural gas, it got the break. Uh, They took a three-year pause that they've announced so far in the application of the federal uh, carbon tax. So I think that illustrates that governments can only go as far as the public will let them. And that illustrates, I think, one of the vulnerabilities of the carbon tax. I think academically it makes a lot of sense you know, as an economist, I'm not an economist, but it was a minor of mine in the yeah. in university, uh, something I studied. It makes a lot of sense. You have price signals through the economy, but um, there are many other variations in the fuel price or oil price changes every day based on global events. And so you're not necessarily sending a consistent price signal, even mm-hmm. with the carbon tax, price could still drop due to world events uh, on, for, on the oil market. So, I think there are some practical diff- uh, difficulties with the theory.
0: Why do we need your organization? Uh, there is resource work itself. Uh, I think the LNG sp- industry speaks for itself. You have the First Nations LNG Alliance. You have, um, uh, you know, organizations, many organizations out of Alberta, uh, one would argue. On top of that, you have uh, the TMX pipeline over budget, but it's getting built. You have uh, a natural gas pipeline uh, Complete, almost complete, really. I mean, they're working on the plant now, but we're going to be shipping LNG, liquefied natural gas, probably by 2025. So the two big pipelines that needed to be built for the industry are done. So what are you advocating for today and now then?
1: Well, first of all, you mentioned ResourceWorks. This is an offshoot of ResourceWorks, so it's a ResourceWorks initiative. Uh, ResourceWorks, if you look at their history, they've been around for over 10 years, uh, led by Stuart Muir, a former senior editor of the Vancouver Sun who believes in getting information out to British Columbians, bring out the facts in a nonpartisan, unbiased way, and let people have an informed discussion. And so uh, I was talking to him after meeting him at a uh, conference this summer in July that was specifically talking about decarbonization efforts. And we were asking each other, like, exactly how do these numbers add up, especially in British Columbia, with a focus on electrifying just about everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where are we going to get that electricity from? And I've had a long standing interest, as I mentioned at the beginning, mm-hmm. about electri- electricity sources and what our options are. So we're not married to any one particular technology. We're not representing a particular pipeline project at all. We're looking at the whole energy landscape, BC's environment, and our economy, and how do we get the best outcomes. And we want to bring forward policy ideas for the provincial government by the throne speech. Mm -hmm. And we'll continue to work on that. But we want to hear from British Columbians about their ideas as well. So we've launched a website. Uh, There's a social media campaign. And uh, we really want to bring to people's attention some of the basic facts that they might not be aware of about how important energy is to our economy.
0: You're speaking to the chair of the Energy Futures Initiative, that is Barry Penner, former environment minister and former attorney general of British Columbia, talking about uh, providing fact-based information around energy policy here uh, in our province and, of course, energy and energy development. Always a polarizing issue uh, in this province. It has been for, well, decades. Uh, But I did want to bring him in because these are real – this is a really important conversation we need to be having, Uh, whether it's uh, LNG, whether it's uh, pipelines. And moving forward and looking forward to what is our next energy source uh, post-Site uh, C. Um, is it going to be wind? Is it going to be solar? Is it going to be hydrogen? Uh, I, th- that that conversation is ongoing, and it's important that we have him here today and hopefully have him in here uh, for many other episodes on, on this issue. But let's go to the open line. love to get your thoughts on the issue of British Columbia's energy future. Uh, let's go to Scott in Vancouver. Hi, Scott.
1: Hello, uh, very good to hear from you. Um, I'm wondering why uh, the uh, nuclear option is always completely off the table in, uh, in British Columbia. I mean, you know, 90% of France's power is, is uh, nuclear. Uh, Ontario, Alberta, the East Coast, are looking at many uh, uh, nuclear reactors. But in British Columbia, it's like, you know, we're blind.
0: Scott, thank you for your call. So the question is, why is nuclear always off the table in British Columbia, Barry?
1: Well, uh, I'm a lawyer, and speaking as a lawyer, uh, I can tell you that there's a statute on the books in British Columbia that the legislature passed, I think it was when social credit was still in government, uh, prohibiting uh, nuclear uh, power as well as uranium mining uh, on the books in British Columbia. So the legal answer is the legislature has made it illegal. Of course, legislatures can undo what they've done um, normally uh, if there's a majority willing to do that uh, in terms of members of the legislature. Um, it, the other thing is that in British Columbia, we've been blessed by having a range of other alternatives. And so traditionally that's been large-scale hydroelectric. Uh,
0: but that's done now with Site C. I think this this. is this, it can be argued Site C is our last... Large-scale hydroelectric dam in this province, and case.
1: again legally, it is so. When uh, then Premier Campbell announced the government was going to go ahead with the Site C dam back in 2010, so 13 years ago, and it's still not finished, by the way. Um, the, at the same time, the government and the legislature passed uh, an amendment to, and I forget which act, but it prohibits any more large-scale dams on BC rivers. Now, again, the legislature could change that if we're in a energy crisis. Uh, they could undo that. But at the moment, uh, Jazz, you're entirely correct. The last major dam that's anticipated is Site C, although the original engineers that designed the WAC Bennett Dam, which is upstream of Site mm-hmm. C, envisioned five sites. So
0: Site I A don't know. Yeah, is
1: WAC. I, yeah. Peace Canyon was built in the, about 1980. That's Site B. Site C is nearing completion. And conceivably, from an engineering perspective, they thought they could do two more. Before the Peace River hits the Alberta border, but right now that's
0: off the table. Yeah, politically, be very difficult to do. I'm going to get you to put on your headphones. There, let's go to uh, Glenn and Langley. Hi, Glenn. Hi. Um, I'm just curious.
1: Uh, um, my understanding of the uh, of the sale of electricity and purchase of electricity from the United States is also driven by the fact that. Hydropower, you can simply shut off and turn back on, whereas a thermal generating plant, you've got to keep the water hot so you're, uh, you're burning fossil fuels whether you're using the electricity or not. So we buy surplus electricity from the states when it's cheap and sell it into the states when it's expensive. In fact, my understanding is that Site C is primarily being developed to sell power into the United
0: States. Thanks um, for your call, Glenn. I appreciate fire. that. Uh, your thoughts on that, Barry? Yeah, you're
1: uh, you are largely correct. Um, the uh, especially coal fired power plants are different, uh, difficult to ramp down and then start up in a timely fashion, and so they tend to run twenty four hours a day. And of course, at nighttime, uh, energy demand or electricity demand is reduced. So traditionally, BC Hydro has imported that power and then sold back. Uh, what's different this year is that on a net basis, we're importing more than I think we ever have, according to Statistics Canada. Uh, And there was an article covering that in the Vancouver Sun about a month ago, but again, didn't get a whole lot of attention. Um, And this is indicative of what happens when you have a large hydro-based system and you have a multi-year drought. And if we're into an era of climate change, uh, we may not be able to count on the patterns of the past you know what was normal may not be normal in the future so just just it it does bear keeping in mind to maybe diversify your electricity sources as we are we have some wind power projects now And there are people proposing solar power as well.
0: Well, 2024 is going to be very interesting with TMX, with uh, natural gas pipelines, and the broader conversation around wind and solar and hydrogen. And we're hoping to do a series on this once the next million series is over, uh, focusing on sort of our energy needs uh, here in uh, uh, British Columbia. Uh, Barry, look forward to having you on the show, uh, because I think it's such a very important uh, issue uh, in the months and years ahead. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Uh, Thank you, Jess.